Our gospel reading. This reading uses one of the techniques that Mark is very keen on, uh, the idea of sandwiching. He begins a story, then he interrupts it with another story, and then he returns to the original story. It happens a number of times in Mark. You could call it sandwiching, or if you really wanted to impress people, you could call it interpolation um, or intercolation. And if you're writing an essay, you probably should call it that. But it's pretty much a sandwich. So let's hear it. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had She was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone out forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? And he looked around, all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, come, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God.
By sandwiching these two stories together, one of the things the author of Mark wants us to do is to contrast and compare them and by doing so, see what we can glean out of these strange stories from so long ago. And there's lots of things in common. Obviously, the, the two central characters are both female, one older and one younger, both under the control of men, one under her father's house, as it should be, and one under the control of physicians who did nothing for her. One is 12 years of suffering, one is 12 years of age. Both are dealing with issues of blood. 12 years of age obviously means that the young woman was in or about to be in puberty and the, young, the older woman is suffering a hemorrhage. And both, there's many other things that we could say about what, uh, where they have things in common, but both are beyond the help of medicine. But there's lots that contrast this story too and I think gives us an opportunity to understand it. The girl is at the heart of her community. She's got people caring for her. She's got people willing to mourn her at her death. She has status because of her family. Her father is a leader. She has an advocate in the way life should be in the ancient Near East, where women had men to advocate and speak for them. She is in her proper place. She is in the centre of the home. Now, this doesn't make sense to us. We've changed the way we think about the relationship of men and women. At least we have to a degree. We, you know, if uh, you're still making a living and you're making uh, 70% of what the men in your business are making, you know, we've still got some way to go and a bunch of other things too. But in that world, the heart of the home was where women lived. The public world was where men lived. Women didn't go into public unless they went with men. It was a completely different world. So the first readers of this story would have been very aware of the quite different roles and responsibilities uh, of men and women. This little girl is in the heart of everything. This is the way the world is supposed to be. She is in place, not out of place. Of course, the, the woman with the hemorrhage is completely the opposite. She is out of community. She has no one caring for her. She's only got people who are ripping her off, which is another, which is one way of literally translating what the physicians had been doing in her life. She had no advocate. If she was going to get anything happening in her life, it was down to her. She had to be out in place. She had to be out in public. And that's a problem for two reasons. One, she's a woman and she's alone, but also she's hemorrhaging. So she's got blood and blood is unclean and when you were, when a woman went through her period she would have to always go through a period of cleansing before she could re-enter the community, even re-enter the community of her household and if you had uh, a blood disorder or a disease or you cut yourself then you again had to go through some ritual processes in order to be clean. So she was out in public in, for two, in two wrong things. She had no protection at all. She was outside of everything. Now, of course, when you're on the inside, you can do everything the right way. So the father goes to Jesus. He bows before him or falls at his feet. So he approaches Jesus, if you like, man to man, uh, face to face. He's a leader of the synagogue. He fell at his feet. 
He recognises that this is there's certain protocols that you go through. One is you, you show honour to the person that you're approaching and asking for help uh, and you do it the right way and then you speak face to face. And he begged him repeatedly. He tried to persuade him because, well, when you're in a position of authority and power, you know, you can use that authority and power to get what you need. So begging repeatedly is basically persuasion. He persuaded Jesus. The woman does everything wrong. She's out in public alone. She approaches Jesus alone and she touches him. There's a right way to do things and this woman is completely doing it wrong. We, we have that exact problem in our culture at the moment. There's a right way to do things. There's a right way to come to Australia, for example. Last, We're now at the end of Refugee Week for 2021. There's a right way to come to Australia and our governments have been telling us that if you come the wrong way, we will punish you. And we will punish you essentially for the rest of your life. The people we've now got in incarceration, we have no plans as far as we can understand from the government for anything to happen to them. Many of them can't be repatriated to their home country. It's, a, it's both illegal and impossible because many of those countries, Iran being one of them, won't accept people back. We have told them that they will not, under any circumstances, be resettled in Australia because they did things the wrong way. They jumped the queue. So this sort of story of how the right thing to do and, of course, we could talk about this in lots of lots of other areas of our culture, not just this big story that we've had um, reminded to us uh, over the last week, but lots of other things. There's a right way to do things, and this woman does it all the wrong way. Of course, she's got no choice. She doesn't have the luxury of thinking, OK, well, what's the best way of getting this done? Um, she tried that. She went to doctors. And they were useless. And they possibly, one way of reading, as I said, to, uh, this is that they ripped her off so that they intentionally used her in order to gain riches. We've got a problem in Australia at the moment with doctors. Try finding a, a, a doctor's clinic that will bulk bill in Adelaide at the moment. I can't remember the figures, but it's dropped right down from something like 42% a couple of years ago to well less than that. I'm sorry, I don't have the figures in my head. Now, I'm not saying that doctors who don't belt bill are all trying to get rich. That, that would be stupid. The, uh, the medical, the procedures of Medicare haven't kept up and, and they shouldn't. Bulk billing shouldn't uh, impoverish doctors. But, you know, we've got problems. It's hard to do it the right way, whatever it is. But here's the shock of the story. It doesn't make any difference whether you do it the right way or the wrong way whether you're in community and at the centre of it or completely on the outside and, and, and shunned. Both of these women get healed. doesn't seem to make a jot of difference to Jesus. Whether you filled in the right forms in the right way, whether you turned up at the right place at the right time, doesn't make any difference at all. Both of the women receive healing. And we know this because he's willing to offer that to the rich and the poor, the deserving and the undeserving, the religious and the non-religious, the ones who have the right language and the ones who don't, the correct and the incorrect. So much so that Jesus himself becomes incorrect. Pretty sure that somebody who hangs around with prostitutes and sinners, as the Gospel of Luke tells us, 
cannot be a real, honest, decent human being. But he doesn't even care about that. But of course there's another thing going on here. Look at what Jesus does. He's willing to interrupt his commitment that he made to the healing of a girl at the moment of death. He's made that commitment. He's on his way. He's on his way to someone who's got privilege and who's done the proper thing. But he gets turned around. Something else happens to him. And he's willing to put at risk that story of doing everything proper in order to heal a woman who's done nothing right. This is our call. This is the call of the church. Willing to preference the outsider over the insider. What the many theologians call the gospel's preferential option for the poor come out in the last 30 years as as a serious uh, area of study. It looks more and more like Jesus, whenever he has the opportunity, turns his attention to the poor and the dispossessed, the lonely and the bereft. It's not that he doesn't care for the rich and the powerful, but it's the rich and the powerful that get the negative words from Jesus and the poor and the lonely who get invited in. That's the work of the church. Where we are doing that, we're doing the work of Jesus. Where we're not, well, we've just got a club. And there's nothing wrong with clubs. But don't pretend it's the work of the church. It's when we are inviting everyone in. It's when we're trying to open ourselves up so that what we do is invitational. Not to people who can do it the right way. No, churches like ours, in, in times past have had rules about who's allowed to be here. You can't get a decent feed if you don't come to church first. That was how many soup kitchens operated, and maybe there's still some that do that. You know, you've got to turn up, and then we'll feed you when you look like you're in church and you look like a proper person, then we'll sort you out. The work, of course, we all do here at the Spire community, if we did that, we'd have nobody here. But every week... We're able to offer support, encouragement and food and, and financial support and all those other things to whole groups of people who we don't tell them that we're Christians and that they should hear about Jesus first. But we hardly ever get the opportunity to talk about that because that takes time, it takes community, it takes connection. It takes a care for each other. And so that's a long time process before you can begin to say, well, let's talk about how your life might be different. Are there things that can happen in your life that could be different than the way it is now? And here are some of the experiences that I have had in a deeper experience of what I'm willing to call God and a person called Jesus who's willing to call him God and try and introduce that in a way that is real, not in a way that is fake or box ticking. It's really, really hard, isn't it? But that's our call, inviting and welcoming. And Jesus does that. He has a preferential option for the poor. He turns around and he's willing to let that go for the moment while he deals with this story, the middle story of the sandwich. But there's no need to triage. There's no need to say, well, we have to let this lot go and we have to accept this lot. Well, you know, we have to take the hospital beds during COVID for 
young people, because, well, old people, you know, they've had their lot. Because we can't possibly spend all our money on caring for people. That would be ridiculous. That's what we're saying. But those of us who are old, and that's, you know, quite a number of us in this room now. There's no need to triage according to Jesus. That's the story of scarcity, of fear. The story of Jesus is the story of abundance. You can have life and you can have life in all its abundance, Jesus says in the Gospel of John. doesn't matter whether you do it the right way or the wrong way, whether you've ticked the right box or the wrong box, whether you've done, as the Presbyterians used to love to say, done things decently and in order. That's some of you will remember from the, that's from Corinthians somewhere. Decently in order. Even if you didn't do things decently or in order. Even if you didn't, there's abundance for everyone. The outsider is always welcomed in. Which is good news for the poor, the financially destitute. But isn't it good news for the poor in spirit? Which, let's face it, is all of us. Isn't it good news that even though you haven't done it the right way and I haven't done it the right way, even though there are good Christians in the world and I'm pretty sure I'm not one of them, doesn't matter. Everyone is welcomed in. Everyone turns out. Remember Jesus says to the woman with the hemorrhage, he calls her daughter. She's in too. We're all in. That's why we call it good news. Thanks, people.